You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Hey. Well, um, today, today we are um, going to be beginning. I guess did Cam, well, I guess Cam did a very short message last week. I heard. Sorry, it's not funny, um, but I love the whole summer Sundays. Uh, but Sunday doesn't seem to want to cooperate with summer yet. Um, but in preparing this message, I came across an interesting fact. Um, I learned. I learned something last week that in the past 10,000 years, most human beings over the last 10,000 years have gotten their essential calories from one crop. Now, you probably know where you're going to go. There are vegetables. Yes, there are vegetables. There are things like kale, though I don't think kale's been around for that long. Has it? <laughs> Any kale experts? Uh, there's kale, there's things like spinach, chard, potato. I'm just listing all the things in my garden. Garlic, turns out I plant it way too much. Um, arugula, which nobody likes. Um, and then there's staples like rice, maize, millet. But the most common food in the diet of most human beings over most human history is a, is a food that if the uh, crop failed, there would be widespread starvation. And in the Bible, in Western Eurasia, this crop was wheat, right? And wheat is this tall grass with seeds at the top that can be harvested as grain and ground into flour, and you add water, apparently... <laughs> Asked somebody last week, how do you make bread? Uh, and the result is bread, right? Now, bread is a big deal. Actually, if you read throughout Scripture, bread shows up again and again and again. Uh, you celebrate it, bread, in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, there's a big festival. Uh, bread becomes a staple in every meal. We read that you have to work hard to get hold of bread. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that by the sweat of your faith... Face, you will eat bread. Uh, bread is connected to ancient hospitality. When you had people over, you would offer a morsel of bread, right? And we see Abraham doing that when he's receiving guests. In fact, bread is so important that in the Bible, and I think even in our culture today, we use bread, bread is synonymous to food. And we read in scripture, you know, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, right? And so bread has actually become a euphemism for food. Now, here's the thing, though. In our day, bread is still important, right? <laughs> Gluten-free, whatever kind. But here's the thing. In our day, bread is important, but it's not essential. You go shopping, oh, shoot, I forgot to buy bread. Life goes on, right? We can do without bread. It's simply one of the many types of food we eat. Sometimes we need to give up bread in order to lose weight, right? If you're keto, right? Um, 
But all to say is like when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's awkward in our own culture because, yeah, we like bread, but it's optional. And so it's easy to think of Jesus. Yeah, I like Jesus, but he's optional. But in the biblical world, and we have to get this, bread was not optional. You don't have bread, you die. You have bread, you live. It was that stark. And that's the context for Jesus' teaching here this morning. And so we're going to be looking at a passage found in John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, if you have it on your phone or whatever it happens to be, turn to John chapter 6 and we're going to look at verse 25. So John is uh, in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, one of the stories of Jesus. As a recounted by John. So John chapter 6, verse 25. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did he come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, Well, this is the work of, of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Sir, Lord, actually, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, this is your word. You're not a philosophy, you're not a worldview, you're not a set of ideas, but you are personal, you're historical, and you are present with us. Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and a heart to receive what you say to us today. And we ask this not in our own strength, but we ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me uh, just set this passage up a little bit. This is part of a larger chapter in chapter 6 where bread actually has a pretty big role. Um, at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds, miraculously feeds 5,000 people, right? People are hungry. They're in the middle of nowhere. 
And he says, all right, what do we got? We got a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. And miraculously, he's able to feed 5,000 people. And we read that uh, way back in chapter, or in, in chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated, also with the fish. And when they had eaten their fill, they still were able to gather up quite a bit of bread. And for the people who were there, when they, when they experienced this, it'd be like, wow, this guy, this Jesus is something else. I mean, how does this happen? How is it that with so little bread, 5,000 of us were able to eat our fill? What more amazing signs can this guy bring to the table? And then we pick up the story, though. We pick up the story Jesus had left he had miraculously crossed this lake and he arrives in this place called Capernaum. The people, they're like, <laughs> the people after they had seen the bread, after they had seen what, uh, you, know, the you know, the multiplication of the bread, the people are like, this Jesus is amazing. Got an idea. Let's make him king. We'll force him to be king and then somehow this Jesus is going to lead us. We'll get rid of the Romans. It's all going to be good. Jesus knows that they want to force him into being the wrong kind of king so he leaves. So they go looking for him. And they find him on this other side of the lake. And the first question they ask him, the first question is this. Rabbi, it's kind of a, when did you get here? <laughs> it's kind of a funny question. How did you get here? Like, when did you get here? <laughs> and and uh, Jesus, look at, at verse 25. He says, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus kind of calls him on it. Um, but it is a funny question because, and, and John, if you read the book of John, you're going to notice that there's simple questions, but there's layers and layers of meaning behind the questions. So <laughs> the crowd come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus. Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, this is the same John who begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is the same John where he describes the, the rabbi saying to Jesus, you, you know, where are you going? And Jesus says, what are you looking for? And there's real, there's layers of meaning to this. So they come up to Jesus and they said, when did you get here? And Jesus could say, well, I don't know, in the fullness of time? That's when I got here. When did I get here? Well, when I left my father's throne above. That's when I got here. Before eternity, that's when I got here. When I was ordained to rescue the world from the sins. And to the crowd, they just want to know when Jesus had got to Capernaum. And Jesus' response says, hey, you're asking me this question simply because you ate a lot of bread. You experienced this miracle. Um, and he knows their hearts. He knows that they want him to become king, but the wrong kind of king. And he knows that they're thinking about their own benefit, what they can get out of the deal. And the thing is, Jesus has no interest, no interest in becoming a wonder chef, providing bread for lots of people. Right? Right? He's got so much more to offer. And so Jesus pushes back a little bit. He says, why are you looking for me? Are you just looking for me because you got a lot of food and you're hungry and, and, and you, you see me as somebody who can do tricks or something like that? Why are you really looking for me? 
Now we could pause here for a moment. And we could just kind of linger here and ask ourselves a very awkward question. Why do we search for Jesus? Why are our hearts inclined towards Jesus? What are we looking for? When we're looking at Jesus, what are we looking for? Are we looking for what we can get out of the equation? Do we seek his hand or do we seek his face? Do I seek him because of who he truly is or for other reasons? So why, why are we even interested in Jesus? Now, I, I recognize you all come from different perspectives. Different, you're in different places spiritually. So why even an interest in Jesus is a, an important question. So Jesus' response, look what he says in verse 26. He says, again, truly, truly, I say, you're seeking to free me because you saw the signs. Not because uh, you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Wow. I mean, this pretty important words. And it, you hear echoes of other gospels where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying to the crowd, you know, if you're just looking to me to get some food or for some tricks, you're setting your sight way too low. Oh, it's way too low. There's no sense looking for food that will fill your bellies and you're just going to be hungry again. There's no sense looking for food that, you know, will go bad. Jesus says, you know what you should be working hard to get? What you should be working hard to get is a food that offers life. And that food, if you're looking for something more, that's the food I will give to you. And this is key. Jesus tells the crowd that they can trust in him. They can trust in him. They can trust in his mission. Because who he is and why he's come is way bigger than anything they thought. In fact, he says, if you want to know who I am, you need to know this, that who I am and why I came, that, that God the Father has actually placed his seal upon me, placed his mark of approval on me. This is big stuff. And so, you know, in, in the ancient world, when, when, when a king would, would um, send something that would, would have his authority, it would he would have his seal pressed into it. I used to, uh, I used to work um, in Asia, and I was in, 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 used to live and work in China, and I was the uh, administration manager for a company. And back then, you would have to write, so my job was reimbursements. <laughs> so people would want reimbursements, so I'd write all these checks. But all my checks, you'd write, but you would never, in China, you would never sign the check you'd have a seal that came from the bank, which would have your name and kind of cool Chinese characters. And then so I had my own seal and I had it in my drawer and just, and that would give it a certain authority, right? And so this is a picture of, 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 of God the Father here sets his seal of approval on Jesus. And they said, God the Father's put his approval on me, so you need to listen to this. But they don't get it. 
<laughs> they don't get it. They just shift. They, they completely ignore Jesus' point about God the Father has set a seal. And they're like, all right, Jesus, what are we supposed to do then? That's a reaction. What are we supposed to do? Look in verse 26. Or where, where are we at? <laughs> I don't even know where we are. Okay. Said to see, then they said to him, what are we going to do to be doing the works of God? So they, they turn and they say, what are we supposed to do? What are we going to do? And I think this is interesting because Jesus basically lays out and he says, look, this is who I am. I'm so much bigger, so much greater than what you're expecting. So great, so important that God the Father has actually set his seal upon me. So listen up. And the people's response is, all right, what are we going to do? Which I think is interesting because our default our default is often what are we supposed to do in our relationship with God rather than what God will do for us. And immediately their mind goes to, all right, well, there's got to be something we need to do. What do we need to do? And I find that in the Christian life, for a lot of us, grace is hard to receive. Because what you're going to find in this passage is a lot of grace. But the people's reaction is, man, what am I to do? Because grace doesn't make sense there's got to be a catch we got to do something you've probably heard this before but I mean I think this is what separates Christianity from religion because religion is all about what you need to do right religion is about how much do I need to do in order to be right with God but here's the challenge how do you know when you've done enough? How do you know when you've done enough to somehow please God, to get on God's side? How do you know when you've tipped the scale and now you're okay with God? And then what happens when you mess up? Does the scale go back? And so in a lot of religion, there's a lot of anxiety. Have I done enough? And have I messed up? And has the scale tipped back? But Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity, I often say, is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Jesus has done. Because we could never do it. It's the starting point is what he has done, what he is willing to offer. And our, our life is in response to what he has done. And I'll tell you, that makes all the difference. Because if you go through your life, what do I need to do in order to get on God's good side? That gets tiring really quick. And I meet a lot of people who do that. They think Christianity is, is about what I need to do. And what they do is they essentially take that cross and they get rid of it. And they say, okay, God's happy with me because I've done this, this, and this. But now, shoot, yesterday I had a bad day. Huh, I better do some more good things to get back on his good side. And that game gets really old really quick. And Jesus says that basically. He says it's not about grace it's what's going on is not about what you have to do. It's what I'm about to do. That's what Jesus says. And Jesus push, pushes back. And he says, it's not the works of God that you should be doing. It is a work of God. And the work of God is about me. And so they need to trust in the one that the Father has sent. And basically Jesus says, you want to do something? You want to do something? Here's what you do. You trust in me. That's what you need to do. You trust in me. And again, the crowd, they don't quite get it. Verse 30. So they said to him, 
Well, then what's the sign? Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Give us this bread always. So the crowd still doesn't get it. They still don't get it. They look at, they hear Jesus, and they push back a little bit. They push back. They say, Jesus, honestly, you ain't no Moses. Okay, fine. You gave us bread one afternoon to 5,000 people. Impressive. Moses gave bread to hundreds of thousands of people over 40 years. Okay. Jesus, you just gave us bread from some young boy's lunch. We got manna from heaven. Divine bread. I mean, not some barley bread that you provided. This is the real miraculous stuff from above. So the crowd basically pushed back against Jesus. They say, you know, Moses gave us huge, long-term, heaven-sent wonders. <laughs> Come on. If you want to impress us, you have to show us that you're a little bit more impressive than Moses. Because Moses gave us a lot. Give us something impressive, if you can. And Jesus' response is, you guys got it wrong on every level. For starters, you think Moses gave you the bread? Moses didn't give you the bread. My Heavenly Father gave you the bread. And it all goes back to my Heavenly Father. It was my Father who was the source of the manna and the miracle. And it was my Father who was the source of the feeding miracle yesterday. So don't be talking about Moses as if he was the source of all your provision. It was God the Father who provided all this. Secondly, your verb is all wrong. My father not only gave you manna back then, but it is my father who is giving you, here and now, life. Something big is happening right now, and you guys, are, you're about to miss this. My father is presently giving you real bread from heaven. This is a bread that will satisfy so you got to open up your eyes, guys. you got to open up your, guy, your eyes to the miracle that's standing before you. And this bread, you have to realize, this bread that is now on offer is not just for Israel, but this bread that is on offer is for the whole world. And so, you know, you're, you're so bent on seeing a sign. You want to see a sign? Well, that sign that you're looking for is standing before you. Now, that's what Jesus is saying. And look at verse 34. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I love this part because the crowd actually they get it. They start to get it. When Jesus says these words, it's like, all right, hang on. Okay, this is the bread that we're looking for. 
give us this bread always. Something has happened. We're beginning to see what you're saying. And then Jesus' response is the gospel in a sentence. I am the bread of life. And it's the first of the I am statements. There's seven of them in, in the book of John. And we'll be exploring them in the weeks ahead. I am the bread of life. What are some of the other ones? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, what else? I'm the good shepherd, yeah. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. And Jesus says, I, I am the bread of the life. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I have within me the life, the life that you're longing for. Now, we have to get this. Because in, in your hearts, there's a longing for something more. Is there not? Well, one of the things Scripture teaches us is that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And, and, and I know, like, even as, um, as many of you know, like, I grew up as an atheist. I was an atheist for a long time. And I was a pretty set in my ways atheist. I had no time for Christians at all for many of my younger years, right, in my 20s and whatever. But even as an atheist, even as a person who is bent on saying God does not exist, I'll confess to you that in those moments before I fell asleep at night, I had a yearning that there had to be more to life. And every now and then I had a thought, okay, if God does not exist... If he does not exist, then really, what's the point? What's the point of, of anything that I do? I mean, I could get a good job. I could make good money. I could do this, could do that. But what's the point? If I'm just going to die, and when I die, that's it, what's the point? But I'll tell you, in those moments before I fell asleep at night, I wondered, could it be, could it be there's more to life than this? Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. But my guess is, even if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that sense of, man, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be stirring in your heart. Because Freedom 55 gets old real quick, right? There's, I mean, you could travel. We can travel, apparently, now. Um, but no amount of traveling, no amount of money, seriously, no amount of money will satisfy that ache, that longing that you feel. And in this statement, Jesus is claiming in his own person to be that which every human being deeply desires. That desire you have, he's the fulfillment of it. That hunger that you have, he's the fulfillment of it. And he applies this personally to all those who are listening, including every one of us here this morning. What does he say? He says two things. Two things. He says, come, trust. 
Come and trust. Come and believe. And so the call of Jesus today is to come and to trust. How complicated is that? It's not very complicated. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's not complicated. (laughs) All the grandeur, all the greatness, all the glory that is found in the bread of life, Jesus Christ. All the work in the coming, the incarnation, his words, his deeds, his death on the cross. All all the things that are required, Jesus carries out. And you have to get that. In scripture, all throughout the Bible, God is always on the front foot. So if your picture of Christianity is, oh, there's rules, i got to do this, this, and this, and then God's happy with me. That's not what scripture teaches at all. God is always on the front foot and he does all the heavy lifting and his call to us respond. What is required on our part? Come. If you come, you'll never be hungry again, Jesus says. Trust. Whoever trusts in him will never go hungry. They'll never go thirsty. And I was reminded of of Isaiah chapter 55 where it's kind of a prophetic word that points to Jesus. In Isaiah 55, we read, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And as human beings, we hunger and we thirst for life. And some of you here this morning are hungering. You may even be a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been following Jesus for a while. But you're, if, you've, if I was to describe the state of your soul, it would be as dry as a desert. And you long for the living water. You long for the bread that satisfies. We desire to feel alive. Well, Jesus promises us that more. He offers us bread that goes more than just fills our bellies. It is bread from above. It is bread that gives us life. So Jesus is the life that we long for. And I love this great quote from a, I have to quote something geeky from church history. It's just who I am. Um, In the second century, there's a fellow named Irenaeus. And he says this, he says, The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And God's desire, his desire for you, is for you to become alive, to be fully alive, to be the person you were created and redeemed to be. So how many of you feel dead on the inside? Jesus desires for you to become fully alive. And we become fully alive through the one who is the bread of life. So how do you come alive? It's not hard. You come and you trust. 
They go together. We are all that he wants and he is all that we need. So we come to him and we trust in him. Does that make sense? Well, let's pray. Lord, out of our brokenness, out of our sorrow, out of our dryness, out of our wandering, out of our lostness, Jesus, we come. Jesus, we come. And it may have been a while for some people here to actually say to you, Jesus, I come and I trust in you. I want to trust in you. Jesus, your, your word to us tells us that you are so much greater than we realize. You're not a bread that's optional, but you are the bread of the life. And our lives will only work insofar as they're connected to you. That you are the one who gives us the spiritual food by which we live. And Lord, we long to live. We've been spinning our wheels, going through the motions, wandering in a desert land for too long. And we want to come to you and live. You are the bread of life, and so we come and we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.